welcome to Enterprising, a podcast from Enterprise Bank and Trust that's empowering business leaders, one conversation at a time. We'll hear from different business leaders about how they've found success in cultivating their professional networks and keeping them healthy and strong. I'm your host, Alana Mueller, an entrepreneurial executive leader whose primary focus is to connect, inspire, and empower community. We at Enterprise Bank and Trust thank you for tuning in to another episode. Hello, and welcome back to Enterprising Podcast. I'm delighted to have with me today, Keith Davenport. Keith is a community leader who has dedicated his career to investing in people. He joined the Missouri Center for Employee Ownership, or MO CEO, as its first full-time executive director in 2021, after serving in a number of program management roles with Johnson County Government and Johnson County Community College. Keith, welcome to Enterprising Podcast. Thanks, Elena. Glad to be here. I'm so glad. And, and we should let our, our listeners know that you and I have actually done some work together in the past. So it's wonderful to have you here in this capacity as well. So thank you. Yeah, it's fun to reconnect. I love that. I, I want to get us started by just learning a little bit more about Mo CEO and if having you explain really what is the concept of employee ownership? Yeah. Uh, let me start with the problem we're trying to solve. And then I'll talk a little bit about how we got here. So in Missouri right now, about 52% of the privately owned businesses are owned by somebody who's over 55 years old. So you think about what that means for the economic landscape in Missouri. In the next 10 years, probably over half of the businesses are going to go through an ownership change. And if you look at national statistics around somewhere between 80 and 90% of business owners don't have an exit plan, if they don't have kids who are going to take over the business for them, businesses that actually go to market, only about 20% of those actually sell. And so we're really trying to think about what are the options that we could tap into to keep those businesses in Missouri so they don't sell to private equity and move out of town or a a strategic buyout where the business close. And so employee ownership is really an option that business owners have that allows them to continue their legacy in their town, lets their employees uh, own the business in some pretty creative ways that the employees don't have to come up with the money to buy out the owner. There's some great policy and structures around that makes it accessible to them. And then they get to enjoy the benefits of uh, closing the wealth gap by having that, that business ownership component. And then it keeps that business and the job in the community and helps that local economy. So that's really what we're doing. It's so cool. You know, it, what it reminds me of, and, and you tell me if this makes sense or not, but what it reminds me of is when people in a community, uh, professionals in a community will want to keep college graduates in their, in their home community and to, to overcome what people have sometimes referred to as a brain drain, where they send, you know, intelligent young men and women off to get their college education, and then they leave their hometown or they leave their home state never to return. And you know, trying to come up with ideas and strategies for keeping them in the community. This is sort of that same concept, but with companies. Am I right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So when we're talking to economic development organizations or chambers of commerce, local government, state governments, we're really leaning into conversations around business and job retention. And that's that's really what we're trying to bring is just a new tool to that that place. When we're talking to business owners, it's really about taking care of their employees and then keeping and maintaining the legacy that, you know, they've oftentimes put decades into this small business. And this just allows that to keep going after they've retired. 
So uh, depending on who we're talking to, we use a little bit different language, but it's the same sort of component, something that you love that you want to keep in the community. Yeah, great. That's so great. So how can you leverage the advantages of an ESOP specifically related to employee retention as you're describing cost control and even an ownership mindset? So whether you're employee owned or not, how can how can you do that by sort of encouraging people to stick around and and showing those benefits uh, in terms of expense mitigation, I guess I would say. Yeah, I just was talking with an organization today who was asking me some similar questions. And I, and I told this story because I think it really helps capture what, what we're talking about here. The question they asked was, how does employee ownership help help a business be more resilient in market turns, which is something that a lot of folks are talking about right now. And I gave this, this example, um, it's from uh, SRC Holdings uh, in Springfield. And they have, you know, they're a manufacturing company. They distribute their products around the country. And one of their employees who's in charge of like the the plastic wrap around their their cases or, or crates of things as they're shipping, you can tell they don't work in the space. I don't have all the right the right terminology. But um, the, the, that person, she's an you know employee owner. They're 100 percent ESOP, 100 percent employee owned. She felt empowered to do her job. She's an employee owner, and she was recognizing that they were paying a lot of money for this plastic wrap. And so she took it upon herself to go out and look at alternative options. And she found another company that actually could give them more of the product for less money and ended up saving the business. I don't remember if it was tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands annually in overhead costs. And that's just a great example of a way that when you can leverage an ownership mindset where you have your employees engaged and thinking like an owner, uh, they feel empowered to to act on ideas and figure out ways that their individual job can impact the bottom line for the business. And that's just one example. And I could go on with dozens more. That's amazing. Are you seeing, is there, um, well, you're focused specifically on the state of Missouri. So are you seeing an improvement in retention when, when companies do move to ESOP? Are you seeing a specific reduction in in turnover, so to speak, or in uh, a reduction in, in days for open posts? Yeah. So there's all kinds of metrics, almost any way that you might measure a business success An employee owned business outperforms its peer companies in the same industry um, of not, uh, not employee owned. So there's a couple different organizations that do research about this on a national level. So um, NCEO, the National Center for Employee Ownership is one of those. Uh, Rutgers University has a whole center around um, researching this. Uh, Project Equity out of California is another one. And what we saw uh, even so during the pandemic, and outside of the pandemic, less likely to have layoffs, uh, longer employee uh, tenure, higher median household income, uh, greater year over year uh, business profit growth, employee owned businesses closed at a lower rate than non employee owned businesses through the pandemic. Uh, we're seeing overall, yeah, the retention numbers are, are all there as well. And so it, it just almost any way you measure, just like I said, an employee owned business outperforms a non employee peer. That is to say, though, that it's because there's a good business, right? So if you have a bad business yeah. or if you have a bad work environment or a bad leadership, becoming an employee owned just makes them an employee owned business with bad leadership, bad environment, <laughs> and, and bad business. So, you know, there's other components there, too. Um, and employee ownership is not a magic bullet, but there's a lot of things you can leverage in the employee ownership space that can really help that business grow. That's really cool. And you talked about these organizations that are doing sort of Me metrics on a national basis. I know you're focused on the state of Missouri, but 
are there different rules and regulations sort of enacted by state or is it general is this generally the case across the country what you're describing yeah so there's federal public policy that really helps with employee ownership across the country and there's some state level things that change too so nationally when you talk about an esop so this would be employee owned businesses likely that have more than 20 employees they're doing probably at least 10 million in revenue annually to, to for it to make sense uh, to be an ESOP. Um, smaller of that would be uh, a worker cooperative is an um, ownership model that would work for smaller businesses than that. But for mm-hmm. ESOPs, uh, for uh, C-Corp ESOPs, uh, when the business owner sells their company to the trust that's going to uh, manage this ESOP for the employees and, and become that employee-owned piece, they get uh, capital gains, uh, tax incentives, tax advantages uh, from that sale. What is more likely, though, is it's an S-Corp that becomes an ESOP. And then whatever percentage of the company is employee-owned, they actually don't pay any federal income tax on that percentage of the the company. And so that uh, frees up cash to pay the debt from the transaction. But then after that's paid off, you have a business that has a whole lot more cash flow uh, to be able to be um, really nimble in the market. And in most states, it, it depends. It varies from state to state, but uh, oftentimes they also don't pay state income tax as well. Uh, Missouri, there's actually just right now some legislation that's being finalized, hopefully in the state legislature that would um, reauthorize a, a state level tax incentive that just sunset in December. And so there's a lot of folks across uh, across the state, including the Missouri Chamber, that's working to try and get that reauthorized. Wow, that's so great. You gave that great example of the woman who realized that she could help the company recognize cost savings by using a different supplier for a a key product, sort of leveraging that concept. So ESOPs as a way to preserve company culture and engage in employees themselves in the well-being and the future of the organization. Can you share any tips or observations that any business leader could apply to engage employees and help shape the workplace culture? Yeah, I think wherever you look at trying to figure out employee retention issues or recruitment issues, there's a few pieces that stick out everywhere that that are consistent. You know, you want good management team, but some of them are employees want to know that they have a future with the business. They they want to know the way that their role fits into the overall mission of the business. Uh, trust in senior leaders tends to be a reoccurring theme. And one of the ways that you can help with all of those components, even if you're not employee owned, is really thinking about um, doing some training around financial literacy for your employees, but not uh, for the business. So just some really simple, you can go as far as open book management, where you share all the financials for your business with your employees, or you can do that in much smaller pieces of just, let's look at our department. How does our department uh, play into the overall uh, revenue lines and expense lines for for the business, and then each of your jobs, how can you help control or, or impact this? And what that can do in, in many ways, one is most employees think that their CEOs make 10 or 12 times as much as they actually do. And so by sharing some numbers, it helps just create more trust that uh, it's not quite quite that much of a divide. And they also can see where everything's spending, but then they can take some ownership of that and see how see how their work can actually play into the overall success of the business. And then just like anywhere else, like lean into, since employee-owned businesses have less likely to have layoffs, they have higher turnover, being able to help shift that into future career planning and, and leadership development with your employees too. Okay, that's super helpful to understand. And, and it really does sort of speak to the fact that anybody can use these principles. 
setting aside maybe LLCs or sole proprietorships, what what if a company or is it such a thing that a company could be too small for an ESOP? And and if so, what options do those kinds of organizations have? Yeah, so uh, ESOPs be- ultimately become a qualified retirement plan that owns the business. And so they're regulated by the Department of Labor, Department of Revenue. Because there's regulations, there's there's often some more cost in, involved in that, in both the transaction and the upkeep. And so for businesses that are smaller, so maybe have less than 15 or 20 employees doing less than about 1.5 EBITDA or less than 10 million in revenue, depending on who you talk to or how you want to shape that, ESOPs often don't make a lot of sense for them because they just don't have the cash flow to set up an ESOP and then to maintain that. So oftentimes for those size businesses, we talk about worker cooperatives, which in Missouri, we're really familiar with agricultural cooperatives. We have the rural electric cooperatives. It's a really similar model, except for instead of the various uh, farmers being in the cooperative, it's the employees themselves that actually own the business then. And so instead of being a retirement plan, the employees pay a membership fee to become a member of of the worker cooperative. And then every year they get what's called patronage, which is their share of the annual profit. It's get put in a capital account for them. Then if they leave the business or retire, they get to cash out the capital account. Uh, and that's a much lower cost to set up. It's much less regulated. So you, you can set those up for a much more reasonable level for a business that has 10 or 15 employees, or it's, you know, your main streets, a uh, small town that's maybe doing a few hundred thousand or a million dollars revenue total in a year. Um, it makes a lot more sense. That does make sense. I mean, it almost sounds like hmm, it's not, it's almost like getting dividends, but the payout doesn't come until you select to cash out or, or you select to leave the, the co-op. Is that, is that an accurate way to think about it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you might get um, every year, you might get some of that in cash because it's uh-huh. taxable income. So just enough to cover your taxes and the rest goes in that capital account. And then that, uh, you know, builds year after year after year. Uh, and it's a really, it's a really significant benefit. But then you also get the benefit of if the business were to get bought out or something like that, you end up getting the part of the profits of the business selling. And in a worker cooperative in particular, everyone employee owner gets one vote to vote on the board of directors. And so it's a lot flatter of a, of a structure and it's a more uh, democratic workplace just by nature. It is an interesting structure, I mean, and it does give people a way to at least participate in the decision-making uh, for the group. So I, I think that's actually really interesting. It strikes me that family-owned businesses would find this appealing, that you know, instead of it being one patriarch or matriarch from a family, maybe maybe all of the family members can participate. Can you talk a little bit about family-owned businesses that that do convert to become ESOPs and what a succession plan might look like for them? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a business out of St. Louis called CK Supply, and their uh, executive vice president is a member of our, our advisory board and helps us with our, our work across the across the state. He's a third-generation leader of this of this business. They work in welding supply, dry ice, and so his grandfather started the business, his father took it over, but when his father was leaving, they decided they wanted to to make some shifts. So they made it a partial ESOP. You don't have to make your business 100% employee all, all at once. So they're a partial ESOP. They just converted a couple of years ago. And then Brad, who is, uh, is 
this person I work with, who's their the vice president, the third generation, he's still on board and part of that management team. He has two siblings who are a little bit less connected with the day-to-day of the way that that's managed and worked. But that's how they decided they wanted to be able to give more to the employees and make sure that that business continues on because they, they work in a space where most of these uh, smaller companies, locally owned, family owned, are getting bought out by private equity which that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be hard when they leave the state or leave a community. So Brad's father wanted to make sure that their business continued and and that the employees they've worked with for a long time get to share in that. And so they converted to a partial employee ownership model. And then the third generation gets to stay on in the management management team and then still hold some of that private stake as well. So cool. Keith, this is Fascinating. I, I love this. But you yourself, you've been in business or in the business community for a long time. You've done a lot with academics. I'd love to dig in a little bit more to your background. Talk a little bit about, is there a great piece of business advice that you received? And, and maybe, I mean, even something that led you to this position that you you took over? Yeah. So actually, when I first took this job, I was starting to work my network. Uh, you know, you, um, you know, move move to a new space, trying to help launch this new nonprofit. So I was trying to work my network hard to make all the connections we could, and sat down with a friend of mine who has worked in nonprofit development for a long time. And the piece of advice he gave me that's been so helpful is, do what you say you're going to do. And he just went on to point out just how how hard that is and then how much that sets you apart to follow through on your commitments. And those who work with me know that there's probably some times I've done better at that than others. There's definitely been the sense of when I've been able to be consistent to follow through with um, commitments I've made in a meeting or when I first make an initial connection with somebody, that that goes a long way. Uh, And it's been surprising to me sometimes how much trust that builds so quickly, just simply doing what you said you're going to do. So that's advice that can really play out anywhere. I mean, isn't that amazing? Well, first of all, you know, since, you know, I'm the networking girl, I love hearing that you leveraged your network to figure out what was next. And when you talk about that secret sauce of actually doing the thing that you said you were going to do as as the piece of, of advice, it's, isn't it, it's almost ridiculous how few people actually can do that. And I don't think it's because people don't intend to. I just think that we get busy and we forget and life life gets challenging and all these stressors. And so I, I think that when people actually follow through and do the things that they commit to doing, they are they're buying social capital that money cannot purchase. And so the fact that you realize that as, as you did and, and with the advice of a, a great mentor, I think is remarkable. Absolutely. And to your point, like that, that social capital is uh, so significant and surprising. Uh, it's surprising how far just following through uh, can get you in, in a relationship or a commitment uh, in that way. Because I think that, that, you know, really the number one currency in these relationships and in networking is, is trust. And yeah. you build trust so much by just being consistent and, and consistently showing up in the same way day after day. And so once you find people that you can trust, you want to keep working with them. And so being able to position yourself in authentic ways in that way really helps build those long lasting relationships that you can take when you move uh, across industries in the same region from place to place. So uh, definitely was essential. Well, and I suspect in in the world of ESOPs that, you know, that following through on commitments, honoring your commitments is is essential. And when you talk about building trust, you know, it seems that if you have a group of employee owners, they have to learn to trust one another. 
Otherwise, this does not work because as you as you described earlier, an, an ESOP seems like a really good idea for so many reasons. But if, if it's bumping up against a poor management team, against a, a poor company culture, it, it's not going to be the thing that saves the organization. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So just a, a fun question that you know I ask all of my guests, and it is this, if, if you could meet with one person, let's say you're going to go grab a cup of coffee, who would it be and why? Sure. So I told you pre-show that I've spent a lot of hours trying to narrow this list down (laughs) because, you know, having coffee with people is a lot of fun. And so I decided that I would go with Martin Luther King Jr. Excellent uh, choice. um, Because I think that aside from elected officials, probably either the most or top 10 most influential people in America and American history in this last century and as far as shaping and, and shifting our future and then also, I feel like one of the most sort of misquoted or misunderstood. So thinking about today's issues that we face, everyone likes to pull quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, say they support whatever their position is. And I just wanted, I would love to get his take on the way that his quotes are being yeah. and hear firsthand what his both his experience back then was and then what his perspective would be on our, our modern day situation. That's really cool. I I totally agree with you. He really is one of the most oft quoted humans. And so just the opportunity to sit down with him and ask him and ask him what he thinks of what's going on today would be pretty fascinating, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would. And of course, we have some some similar backgrounds, too. And, you know, I I used to be a pastor and political activism. He kind of in that space, too. And so uh, I feel like if you're going to have a mentor working in that space, he would be the best one to have. So yeah, so a, a genuine inspirational leader. That's very cool. Yeah, very absolutely. Cool. Well, Keith Davenport, I have loved having you. It's been wonderful to reconnect with you. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and the Missouri Center for Employee Ownership? That would be moceo.org. So that's moceo.org. Greatest name ever. I appreciate that. Keith Davenport, thank you so much for joining us on Enterprising Podcast. Thank you, Elena. Thanks for joining us this week on Enterprising. Be sure to visit our website, enterprisebank.com slash podcast to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in today's program, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or telling a friend about us. Enterprising, powering business leaders, one conversation at a time. The views expressed by enterprising presenters or guests are those of the presenter or guest, and not necessarily of Enterprise Bank and Trust or its affiliates. All content of this podcast and any related materials are for informational purposes only. Enterprise Bank and Trust does not make any warranty, express or implied, including warranties of merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose, and specifically disclaims any legal liability or responsibility for the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of any information presented. Enterprise Bank and Trust is not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this podcast. All statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.